everyone. My name is Kate. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to ArtWise. All right. So another guest episode. Yay. So today we have Rachel. So did you want to go ahead and like introduce yourself and like maybe like say like your social media handles if you have like any art accounts and just like a a brief description of what you do as an artist and what you're here on ArtWise to talk about? Sure. Well, first, I've never really done something like this before, so I'll probably sound dumb at least 80% of the time. (laughs) No, no. My name's Rachel. I have been doing art since before I could remember what it was like to walk. <laughs> I have a professional photography page called Rachel Skoglin Photography. And I do have a personal page, but I don't really show a lot of my art off. I've been doing art my whole life, but as an active art maker, I've been kind of in and out of it since I left college. And I'm just now getting back into like an actual routine with it. So I don't have an art page specifically, but I do have my business page, my professional photography page. I do teach art though, even though I haven't been making art for myself for that long. It's been a while. I'm still in the art world and I don't think that's something that I'm ever going to be able to leave. Awesome. So let's start out with like, how did, I know you said like you've been doing art pretty much like out the womb, like since since you were (laughs) born pretty much. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of artists kind of have a similar experience. I myself, like, I'm the same way. I've been doing art since I can remember. But how did you, like, begin your professional art journey? Like, art as, like, you know, your income, your career, like, uh, like out of high school. Like, what's, right, what's right. your, like, origin story with art? So high school was, um, growing up as a teenager, it was really hard for me. I was diagnosed with depression when I was 12. And my entire adolescence was a struggle to figure that whole thing out. And I've always thought of art. It's this language that transcends any other way of communication. It transcends the written language, being able to talk to people just audibly. It, it's so much more than that. And it connects all of your senses to another person so much deeper. And that was... The only thing that really got me through that was the fact that when I felt like I couldn't scream for help, I had art and art could do that for me. When I was a freshman in high school, my art teacher, she was the first person that actually started telling me about art movements and the history of how art has changed the world quite literally in society, in communities across the globe. And there's this student exhibition that happens in my hometown that revolves around Salvador Dali and surrealism. And she asked me to make a painting for it. And she told me that it needed to be something so weird and irrational and twisted. She was like, just think about your dreams and think about what surrealism is, which is all about your dreams and all about your subconscious. And that's it. She didn't give me any other instructions. She just said that and then paint. So I was like, 14-year-old me, oh God, okay, what now? <laughs> and I, I don't know, it just, I just started messing around with pain. I, I figured I should just do whatever I was feeling because there was no other point. Like I was like, okay, I don't know anything else. Like who the heck is Salvador Dali anyway? All right, dreams. I had one last night. What was it? And then I did it every year. And now I do it. And I actually teach in my hometown. So now I get my kids to do it. And I give them the same instructions. I tell them, make it weird. If you have an idea, do the exact opposite. And that's all I'm giving you. I'm a little freaked out. I don't know if you can see my face. Are you in Florida? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am. (laughs) I had work in that exhibit. did? (laughs) Yeah, I did. I I did for two years. I did... Well, wait, no, I had to have done more than two years. I had to have because, okay, well, you know how like they have basically like you can submit art to the the Dolly student exhibit. Yeah. (laughs) One year I actually like made it in, like I had work like in the Dolly exhibit, but 
I'm sorry. I'm just like oh. small, oh small my world. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah. Yeah. I, I all four years and all four years I was there. I, I was in the museum and I remember so vividly what it was like to just be in the building during the exhibit and like have my friends and family there and be like, look, there it is. Mine's right there. And that it, I didn't, receive anything or anything like that. I don't think I got an award until like my senior year of high school, but I did it. And it started this whole like just snowball effect. I started doing the congressional. I did some of the PTA ones that they did in my county. I just couldn't stop. I had to, I had to be making art and I had to put it in every exhibit that I could. And I actually lost my art teacher my sophomore year. She got fired and well it probably wasn't actually her being fired but you know florida politics and education system but she lost her job and i just remember how devastating that was for me because i needed her without her i didn't know what i was doing like i hated high school i hated everything about it the only place i found peace was being in her room and she left got another job at another school someone replaced her and it was yin and yang just she was order and she was direction and the new person was chaos and had no idea what she was doing. So I latched on to the ceramics teacher next. And wow, I really was that kid. I was that kid. <laughs> I was the weird art kid that could not leave my teacher alone. No, I was I was the weird <laughs> art kid. Too. I'm pretty sure most of the people listening to this podcast are probably the weird art kid too. No, I yeah. I totally I totally get it. I also did congressional too. Like I did all of the high school art, little like little art shows. Yeah. It's like what made me fall in love with art and made me like continue to pursue art outside. I I had an amazing art teacher. Her name is Miss Smith. I'm going to send her this episode because I I love her. Can we dedicate this episode to Miss Smith? Yes. And your your art teacher as well. Miss Sakura, Miss Clay, you guys are my saviors. <laughs> yeah, so this this episode's for all the art teachers because like I know like you probably feel the same way without my art teacher Miss Smith, like I probably would have given up, you know. She has told me so many things that have stuck with me like to this day. I know high school wasn't that long ago for me. It was only like 4 or 5 years ago, but even still like I yeah, it, yeah it's you know they're just core memories it's a part of who we are now yeah. and it's so funny because now Miss Clay is my colleague I get to talk to her and connect with her about curriculum and like the AP program and going into the exhibits and making sure our students are submitting stuff and it's just so cool Miss Sakura she's retired now and she's one of my coolest friends I mean I invited both of them to my wedding and it was just, you know, they're, they're a big part of my life now and they drive everything that I do now as a teacher, which I never actually thought I was going to be an art teacher. I always thought I was going to skip that step and just go straight into the collegiate world and stay there because teenagers are scary, (laughs) but here I am anyway. That's amazing. Uh, So you, so you didn't think that you would end up being an art teacher, but it just like, how did that look for you? Like, is there like a story behind was like one day there was just a job opening at your school and your old art teacher sent you an email and was like, Hey, (laughs) actually, no, I live completely across town from where my school was. And in college, I, you know, I went for the bachelor's of the fine arts and I focused in specifically learning abstract expressionism by the end of it for my thesis, a minor in photography and a, I guess a second minor in art history. And I was like, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to go on a residency, hopefully somewhere out of state or out of the country and then go get my master's somewhere, somewhere else, get out of Florida. You know, like we all, you're born in Florida, you know, you want to get out of it one day. It's Florida. <laughs> that didn't happen. I, I fell in love and he is a teacher. He's a music teacher and he got a job in the County that we grew up in. And I was like, wow, I, I kind of like the home that I've built here now. Like it doesn't, it's not awful anymore. Like I've made it my own. So I never went on a residency and I never got out of state and I'm okay with that because I'm happy and I have a home that I love. And I actually really love the fact that I'm still so close to the people that made me what I could be today. And I 
started off as a photography director at a studio and I did that for about five years and almost five years, four to five years. I did that for a while and then I left that to be a graphic designer at a small company, um, working specifically in print and working for local companies around me. And then COVID happened and I got laid off. I lost my job. I, I didn't know what to do anymore. I couldn't find work no matter how many jobs I had applied for. And I even questioned myself. I was like, why did I do this to myself? Nobody needs an artist right now. They need nurses and doctors. And it's just like, I here, have a paintbrush. <laughs> that, that was me. For six months, I couldn't find anything. And which is a blessing in disguise because there are so many people out there who were in my shoes that it took way longer than six months for them to get back on track. And my husband convinced me to apply for the art position at his school. I didn't get it. That was also a blessing in disguise. But I did decide, screw it. I'm just going to apply to all the schools around here that are open. And I'm just going to see what happens. Because um, you might already know with Florida, if you don't have a teaching degree, you sign up and you do this intent to earn certification. And yeah. as soon as you start teaching, you have to be in that certification program. And I'm doing that. And I got a job at this school about 20 minutes away from me. It's a Title I school, which means it's a below average income neighborhood. And I fell in love with these kids. They they really needed somebody who understood how powerful art could be as a tool for survival because that was what school was, was just surviving. I mean, there were some kids that their only way of communication and connection was staying later after a Zoom call and talking to their teacher about things that are going on in their house because there's nothing else that they can do. And then the kids who had to go to school and were terrified about being in school and my room, my classroom became like the safe haven for these kids. And I realized, oh my God, like that's me. I'm you. Like I'm, I'm looking right at myself. I have to stay here. They need me. I, I need to stay here because I need them. Because there's no way that I could ever let go of, I guess, making my art teachers proud and showing them like you passed down this power to me and I'm going to give it to the kids that they, they need it here. And now I've been teaching for some time now. Um, I'm, I'm, I lost my job at the end of the year the same way I, my art teacher lost hers through politics. I got it back over the summer. So it's just been like this roller coaster of emotion for me. It's like, wow, I finally found what I should be doing and like what I meant to be doing. Okay, you're laid off again. Great, thanks. I got the job back anyway. I fought tooth and nail for it and... No, they can't get rid of me. I'm almost done with my certification. I'm probably one of the, not to sound, I'm not doing this for clout or anything. I, I really <laughs> do think that I am one of the first teachers that some of these kids have ever been able to really connect with. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I am so incredibly open about talking about mental illness and talking about emotion and how important it is to use that within your art and being in an art room, even if it's not something that you're serious about, like you do realize that this is something that can help you navigate these waters. I mean, you're growing up in a world that's not normal. So here's something that can help you because normal won't exist for you anymore. But here's something that can help you process that. That just started this huge drive in me. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to continue doing this. And now here I am kind of on the cusp of being an active artist again and not just talking about it and teaching it. And it feels so right. The It just, you know, it's just, it's right. It's home. That's amazing. I love art teachers. Like they're, they're so inspirational I can like hear in just like from from talking to you we've only been talking for 16 minutes and nine seconds now but <laughs> just from talking to you like you can hear like just in your voice like how passionate you are about you know like art education and like being there for these kids and I like I really like I'm so grateful to have had such an amazing art teacher and like I know like you're you're literally like going to impact a lot of like your students lives literally forever like they will like attribute their love for art to you and it's it's such an amazing thing. I was so excited to have an art teacher on the podcast. 
I hope like maybe one day I can get my art teacher to be on the podcast. Who knows? I, I, I hope so. That'd be, hope that'd be sick. Yeah, After I you love her. her. You should convince her and be like, hey, can you come on now and talk about yours? Like you've been doing this for so long. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, I decided with the last episode that I recorded today that Artwise Season 2 is going to have a slogan and it's a quote from my art teacher that she used to say all the time and literally every time I think about it, it like makes me want to freaking cry. I love I love it so much. You know, when she was teaching us and we would get frustrated and be like, oh, it's not coming out good. I, I hate this. Like, I don't want to do, like, I don't want to be painting this anymore. This isn't going to be good enough to submit to like this gallery or whatever. She would always say, it's about the journey, not about the destination. And when right. I was a kid, it used to make me so mad. I'd be like, God, Miss Smith, you don't get it. I'm not going to be able to get into the show. Like, I'm not going to get any little ribbons. All I cared about was the freaking honorable mention ribbons from Congressional. And that's it. That was the only thing that concerned me ever. But now as an adult, like, that it's such a powerful, like, thing that she used to always say. Like, it's so, and it's not just related to art. It's, like, about life in general. It's about the journey and not the destination. And, like, you were saying, like, right. you didn't think that you would ever be an art teacher. But along the way, you found, like, that's what you're passionate about. That's what you feel like you're meant to do and, like, what makes you happy. And, like, you're helping so many kids. And I think it's just amazing. I'm really glad to have I, you on here today. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that I went on TikTok this morning and saw that. <laughs> I really am. I, yeah. it, I, I just have so much energy and love for art, and I could talk about it for ages and never get tired. It's just such a powerful thing that exists for us that we have. And I, I love the fact that I've been given this opportunity to share that passion with students, even if, you know, they're annoyed by it and they're like, no, this doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Like at the end of the day, it's like, it will, it may not right now. And that's okay, but it's going to one day. And I tell my kids now, it's like, how long have you been doing this? And they'll say, we started this this week. And I'll be like, okay, imagine what you're going to be able to do in two weeks from now. And then two months from now, because art is not just a talent that you have. It's, it's a skill. Just like learning to run a specific way and be able to endure that running, to be able to play that instrument, you need to practice and you need to discipline yourself and respond to yourself about how things are happening to you around you and things like that and never stop. You just got to keep going. You don't need talent to be good at this. You just need to want something from it. And I feel like finding that one is what matters. Finding that desire is what matters the most. And if your desire one day is to never touch charcoal again, that's fine. You tried it, but let me help you find something new. Let me help you do this instead. Like, I don't want my classroom to be school. I don't want it to be school. I want it to be a place away from school. Granted, yeah, of course, I've got my procedures. I've got my rules. I've got the way that I expect them to behave within themselves to themselves and to others but I'm not going to make you sit there and just make a circle over and over again until you're perfect at it I don't want you to do that I push them to think past their limits I push them to think differently and to activate their mind and use their mind to create their own language because every single person has their own voice and art is such a great tool to help you find power in that and to use your voice to whatever ends you need. And for a lot of these kids, they need that because their voice in many other places in their world doesn't matter. I mean, I've got kids coming from foster cares and their voice doesn't matter because they're being drowned out by the 10 other kids that they're living with. Or the student that is just drowning in this expectation for scholarships because they'll be the first ones to go to college within their family and so much more. And it's just so important to me to remind them, it's like, you have power. You have so much original power sitting within you. And it's just, I end up in these motivational speeches and they're just like, all right, miss, thank you, I get it. But I, art did that for me. Art showed me my voice, art showed me my power. And that, 
is more important to me than anything else. What's most important to me is that they recognize that they deserve to speak up. They recognize that they have that power and it is theirs and theirs alone. No matter what is going on in their life, they'll always have that. Nobody can take that from them. That's what I want. And I want to show them how art can further that journey for them and push them on that journey and give them give them that perspective. Yeah, um, that's yeah. Yeah, that's that's like a really really amazing and see like I wish more people kind of viewed art in that way because I know, you know, being an artist, you know, like being an artist your whole life, like it's it's not always an easy thing to be. I feel like there's a lot of pressure and stigma from like, you know, whether it be like someone's parents who want them to go to school to be like a doctor instead or a lawyer or something important because they want them to be successful. It's it's not about being successful. It's more about being happy with what you're doing and you know sometimes exactly and art is is a beautiful way of like being human and like self-expression and I feel like you know a lot of people don't get it I think everyone listening to this podcast probably gets it but a lot of people don't get it I know it can be it can be difficult so I do have a question so did you like choose to teach art at a high school level like age level I mean or was that just kind of like what's available or were you specifically like, no, I want to, I want to do high school. I I wanted to work with high school. I wanted to be able to dive deep into more of the theory and meaning of art and art movement. And I wanted to have mature and real conversations with these kids and really push their abstract thinking. So I specifically wanted to find high schools where I could be working with teenagers, kind of where I was like, I, I guess I was looking for myself. I was looking for where I would be so that I could go there. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I love kids. I really do. But I really, when I talk about art, I need to be able to talk about it, really, really talk about it. I need to be able to have true conversations and compare artists of our day to past and how movements are changing or how we're going back into a similar movement based on the horrors and events of, around us and how we're responding to them. I need to be able to have those conversations with these kids because that's, it's real. And it's, it's a lot. And I just, I, I would probably terrify a fifth grader talking <laughs> like this. So I can't do that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. I'm crying now. I want my mom to take me home. And I'd be like, I, I don't blame you. That's my fault. I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. See, I was wondering, because like you, you said earlier, like high school s- students can be kind of mean sometimes. Yeah, I, I love art education. I always have, have a, it's a side hustle now, but like I'm hoping to be more involved with it soon. But a side hustle I have, which I, I don't talk about myself a lot on this podcast unless it relates to what we're talking about. But I do like the these educational videos on a website called Tract, and it's it's like YouTube, but it's it's educational and it's it's for younger kids, not really the age level that you teach, but more like probably like elementary, middle school, and that's been like yeah. so much fun to like be able to teach. But you know, first I n- I never got my bachelor's degree, so I I can't become a teacher until I I do that. But I've always had like an idea in the back of my mind, because I really am passionate about our education as as well. So tying that into my next question, what what advice would you give to either your younger self or maybe like a beginner artist who aspires to maybe like take a similar path as you and potentially like go on to teach art? Is there anything that you would do differently? Or anything that you would tell yourself any advice you would give that would maybe like help or would have made things easier join the union (laughs) make sure you join the union right away in regards to actually teaching art and what I would probably tell my younger self is I when I think of my younger self I think of myself when I was still in college when I really battled with art when I felt like art school was killing me I would probably tell myself you're going to make it And I want you to keep struggling because that means you're growing. You are transitioning into the next stage of who you are as an artist. And although art school is daunting for you right now, you're going to look back on it and say, 
I learned so much because I did that. And if I had gone through art school and everything was just happy-go-lucky, I don't think that I would have gotten the same perspective and experience that I needed in order to actually translate that to the kids today. As an art teacher, be firm, but never lose your passion. That passion, when you show that passion, even if somebody doesn't understand what you're passionate about, they will understand that passion. They will recognize that. And that will spark the bridge for you to be able to communicate with them. And it's okay if they don't like art the same way as you. You're not going to reach every single kid using art, but you are going to reach them by showing and honestly being genuine with your passion. That is what matters the most. If you try to put this hat on and be somebody else, it they can see that. They know what genuine looks like. They're smarter than anybody ever gives them credit for. So just be you. Yeah, I think that's like a really a really good message too. I know definitely when I was in high school, I was for sure 100% the weird art kid for for two years, well, for three years, really, I, I was, you know, a, what do they call them? An art honor society, like, there was, like, co-presidents, like, vice president. I, I was, like, um like a higher-up member of art honor society. I was in it for all four years of high school, and then I was president for two, two years, my junior and senior year, and kids were not kind. <laughs> but I was always authentic about it. I was never, I was never gonna sit there and tell someone I'm not weird I'm not a weird art kid because I was that's that's what who I was who I still am I'm still that weird art kid just a little bit older with a little bit more life experience now but yeah I think that's like a really really good like kind of advice to to give to because I know that like you know hearing that as as a kid would definitely have helped me not feel so not outcasted, but I definitely felt like kind of a like a quirky weirdo. <laughs> but I know now yeah. that that's not a that's not a bad thing because everybody is different. And high school is definitely a difficult age because in high school you're not thinking about how everyone's different. You're thinking about all like the cliques and how everyone's the same and like how you don't really fit in with anyone or anywhere. And art right. was something for me personally that really helped me. And what you're doing is is just beautiful. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I, I seriously could cry just thinking about it. Yeah, I was the weird quirky art kid too. And I literally would not be here today without my art teachers. I, I wouldn't have made it through all of that. High school is really rough. I not only dealt with the terrors of just being in a teenager community, but I dealt with my own terrors, and that's that's really hard to do, especially when you're a teenager and essentially you're just kind of thrown into the fire and you don't even realize that you're in the fire yet. Everyone talks about how when you finally graduate high school, like you're thrown into the real world. Yeah, but what about how you're thrown into being a teenager? Nobody really, like, expects you to be thrown into anything because you're just like oh you're just a kid you're gonna be fine you're gonna be fine you're just a kid but you're not you're not you are an entity you're your own being and you're trying to figure out what the heck that even means and it is costly it takes a lot out of you and trying to figure that being out and then the kind of being that you are around other beings who are also trying to figure out what it means to be a being it's just exhausting and I wish that I just had a little bit more encouragement to stay weird growing up. I would have felt a little less stressed about it, but I, weird is awesome. That's really all I needed to hear is that weird was awesome because everybody's weird. It's just a matter of how many will show it off or not and like where they're showing it off because we're all a bunch of weirdos. And it's so funny, like connecting back with, kids that I went to high school with and they're um, telling me like oh yeah you were that the girl that sat outside in the hallway always drawing right those drawings were pretty good and in my head I'm thinking you were the kind of person that would walk past me in that same hallway and throw a paper ball at me and snicker as you walked away like I didn't think you actually saw me 
and then for it to be like 10 years later and they're like yeah your drawings were actually really good I'm so glad you became an art teacher like I it's just meant for you it's like what what (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know how to tell you that it's like these this is a be weird it's good like believe me you are going to be so happy one day when you realize like yeah I wasn't like them and I'm glad I wasn't yeah no it's it's also crazy too to see how people mature as well because like you'll you'll talk to someone who literally like relentlessly like made fun of you like oh you always have that sketchbook on you you're always drawing you never pay attention in class like and then you talk to them five years later and they're like oh you're you know you're a graphic designer and you work on nike stuff that's amazing i'm starting a business can you do my logo for free and you get to be like no (laughs) Yeah. yeah oh man wow yes i understand that on a spiritual level (laughs) yeah it's so this is an interesting question so how do you think switching roles and going from like being that high school student you know struggling to then going back into that same environment but in a different role as a teacher how how do how was that transition for you was it did it feel different or was it like i just feel like i'm in high school again oh yeah definitely not i do not feel like i'm in high school again it's actually kind of amazing and it makes me feel powerful when i get to tell one of the bullies to sit down and be quiet. (laughs) I love that I can do that. I love that I have kind of this power to be, for lack of a better word, a savior to some of those weird kids. I get to really teach the kids that come into my room that would be the ones to use foul language, be malicious without even realizing they're being malicious to people who are just different to them. I love being able to give a chance, like, you're not allowed to say something like that in this room. Do you know why? And instead of me just telling them to sit down and be quiet and like, just leave it at that. And they're like, whatever kind of attitude towards me. It's like, no, sit down, be quiet. Do you understand why that was not okay? And get the chance to actually explain why that wasn't okay. And I think that that makes such a big difference because I remember so many teachers just never giving a why. They just did things. And I, I never understood, like, it made me angry. I was like, why are you talking to me like that? Or why are you talking to somebody else like that? Or just like, why? Okay, why are, why are you doing this? Because it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, you're a teacher, but why are you doing that? I am so honest with my kids. Like I will tell them, hey, I'm doing the seating chart because I was told I have to do it. So like, just come on, work with me, guys. I want to get this over with and go back to what we really want to do here. Or like, hey, I need you to get up. Give me your phone, please. I'm not going to take it because I want to. I'm actually asking you to give it to me so I can put it on this charger and leave it alone so that you and I can still connect into something and get you through this. Or like, I actually tell my kids the ones that skip. I'm just like, do you need my class to graduate? Most of them say yes, because most of the kids I get are the ones that forgot to do this before the end of their fourth year. Um, And I'll say, okay, then I'm going to see you in class because for that hour that I have you, I am responsible for you and I care about your well-being and I want to make sure that one, you're safe because if I have no idea where you are when I'm supposed to be the one responsible for you and taking care of you, it's going to rock me at my core because you you need someone and I want to be someone that you can still go to and I totally understand if you hate high school. I don't expect you to like it. I hated it too. So let's get you out of it. How are we going to do that? What's the goal? Let me get you out of here. And for some of those kids, at least, it it does that. Once they hear that, they're like, wow, a teacher is telling me that I need to get out. They hate to. Why are they here? Okay. I wish I had more of that. And I think that there's like an actual whole shift in how teachers are now. I think with my generation of teachers, they are more willing to be open because it's just so fresh in our minds what it was like before when we were those kids and how disconnected and we we just felt like we were being dictated around the school and in the classrooms. It didn't really feel like a place where we could learn to listen and also respond. Of course, there are always going to be the teachers, one in a dozen, that did get the chance to show us that. But I want that one in a dozen to be anyone and everyone. I don't want it to be rare. I want teachers to actually care about 
connecting with the kid and relating to them and leveling with them, making it clear. It's like, I can do this for you if you're willing to see it and then work with me instead of you need to do this because I told you so. I definitely had my fair share of teachers like that. <laughs> there was a few I teachers. I think we all did. Yeah, there was a few teachers in, in high school because I had my amazing art teacher who cared more than any other teacher I think I've ever had in my life. And you can just tell just by, you know, interacting with her. And maybe that was because I was closer to her than most of the other students because, you know, she was sponsoring the club that I was a, a president of. And, you know, she was doing all these extracurriculars with me and she was showing up to my art show. But I definitely, like, I really think that that's like a good way, especially like if if anyone listening to this, like is aspiring to be a, a teacher, like, please, like, if you don't care about your students and your kids, like, just don't, <laughs> just don't do it. Just don't, just don't do it. <laughs> please don't. Really, it's not worth the money if you don't like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 I no, I remember thinking that so many times because I remember as a kid too, because I, you know, I really, I was a good kid. Like I, I was in like AP dual enrollment classes all, all or the last two years of high school anyway. And, you know, I would constantly like, you know, get like, like these like weird, like I would get in trouble for things that like didn't make sense because like I was the weird kid, you know? And it was like, that's just what you do is yeah. you just tell like the weird art kid to like put their sketchbook away. And it's like, it's not like I'm not paying attention, but like I'm taking notes. I'm just doodling on my notes. Like what's the issue? And, yeah. you know, I would, I remember just thinking like so many instances and like, you know, it's obviously most teachers are amazing and wonderful, but I have two in my head right now who were just absolutely relentless to me for no reason. <laughs> and, you know, that's the, that's the thing is that you, you, it's so easy to remember the negative and that reflection, it sticks with you because it's something that you remember in that moment, having such an emotional reaction to and all teachers I just know, like, you, at some point in your life, you were doing this and are doing this because it matters to you in so many ways. And I can see that you're exhausted now. When I was a teenager, I could not see that. I could not. I had absolutely no way of, I, I just couldn't do it. And I wish I was more empathetic back then to looking at these adults and saying, like, wow, you really are tired. Like, no wonder you just snapped real quick. It's like nine o'clock in the morning and these guys are, you know, screaming on the top of their lungs. Like, I totally get that now. Back then, I couldn't get that. Or like, I couldn't understand like why they were always just like boiling. They were always at that point. And I think that, to be honest, there is a generation shift. I mean, those of us who are now adults, we are we took that information and those reactions that we had as teenagers and it molded us into saying like we we just I don't want those kids to feel like that and that makes a big difference now I think that I think the way that teaching and what it means to be a teacher and to also be some sort of regulator some sort of trainer in a way really you're not just being a teacher, you are teaching them manners, you are making the example of what it means to have a routine, and what it means to have some sort of system. And those words I choose specifically, and I did not get that as a teenager. I didn't get that specific vocabulary. I just got the emotion behind these teachers who were just like, I, I want you to do this. I didn't get the why, and that stuck with me. And I think that I've actually met quite a few teachers of that are, you know, like new teachers are thinking the same way. Like, yeah, why is matter? And then I'm also meeting other teachers who I know for a fact have thought like that before, but now they are just so tired and they're trying to figure that out now because that's a new challenge for them. Teachers play such an incredibly exhausting role in our communities I completely understand now what all of that is like. Do I want to do that? Do I think that it's an excuse to like continue being like that? No, I don't. I think that as a generation, us as teachers, we are going to change what that looks like. 
and it's going to change the way our communities grow moving forward. Will it be different? Yeah, and it should be. That's the whole point of evolution. That's the whole point of growth. You're not supposed to be stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I, I totally agree too, because like, you're right as, as a kid, we don't really think, oh, like maybe this, this teacher snapped at me because like, they're having a really stressful day already. I feel like having kind of like more emotional, like intelligence like would probably benefit a lot of kids but I feel like it's something that's not really talked about I I never really thought like I knew you know in high school in middle school even I knew I was an anxious kid I always knew that I was like a little bit nervous but mental health really like no one ever was telling me like hey maybe you should see a therapist or maybe you should like you know find like a coping mechanism for that it was never it was never like oh I should do something about this. It was always just like, this is just how my brain's wired. I'm just going to have a panic attack for the next three days and not eat. Like, you know, and I think that that's, that's also something that's, that's really important too. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. So I do have another question. (laughs) Like we talked a little bit about how you have like this passion for art history and how art has changed lives. And I was just curious, would you be able to like teach us some of your favorite instances, like specific instances of that in art history? Yes, I can. (laughs) I have the perfect one. And I actually have it tattooed on me. And it's one of the first things that I actually like to bring up. Professor Brecca, I love you for teaching me this and giving me this moment in my brain. I'm sorry if I don't paraphrase correctly. (laughs) Our history professor that I had, she taught me about the piece called The Man in the Red Turban. Um, It's a 16th century piece by Jan van Eyck, and it was pivotal because it was one of the first instances where I realized how crazy influential art really is to societies and like full countries nobility royalty and all and it was just a simple painting of a guy looking at the painting instead of looking out in the 15th and 16th 16th century of the northern renaissance so not the um, italian renaissance where we understand like rebirth and romance but the northern northern renaissance which dealt a lot more in piety um, your religious beliefs and religious reform and how that was evolving for like the dutch and the german like northern all of northern europe and jan van eyck was um, this beautiful painter and he can he got tons of commissions and a lot of times when you're an artist your commissions are what you live on you're also a carpenter and you create your own frames and that's how you sign things and back then that's you had the saying that you had to write on the frames when you were done with a piece that you were selling. And this is just a really rough paraphrase. And I know to all of my art historians out there, you, I please rail into this, please. As best as I can, but not as I would. Essentially meaning I did what I could, but I'm not a creator. The only creator could be God. And I know that I am not God. I am lesser than God. So I will copy the creations that he has already made and given us in this world. So I'm not an artist. I'm not a creator. I am a copyist. That was the mindset of what it was to be a painter at that time. And it was just like, you know, it was meant to be humbling. It was meant to be another way of devoting yourself to the Lord and being like, you know, like, I am a pious man of this country. Jan van Eyck made this incredible portrait. And I think it's a self-portrait. I don't know for sure. It's been speculated. I, In my gut, I kind of, I'm going with he's probably, it was a self-portrait probably. Instead of it being a portrait in the profile, where um, obviously the only thing that you see is one side of the face and you're paying attention to the surroundings of where that portrait was taken. It was a portrait of someone praying and their direction of their eyes would always be in what's called the mind's eye, which was hands up, kind of like three quarters view looking up and your eyes are pretty much up to God. And that was you looking into your mind's eye. Those were the only two ways that you created portraits. Never, ever, ever would you include the viewer in that process. Jan van Eyck made this portrait where he 
didn't do either. He was kind of stuck in between. And then his eyes in the portrait were looking directly at you. And it pissed people off. It made people angry. Like, they rioted over a painting. Like, I can't even imagine. It's just amazing. And then he signed it as I can. I made this. I am a creator, which means that I'm saying that I'm also as good as God. I am as equal as God because if he's a creator and I'm a creator, that's what you're getting from me. Like it was just amazing. It pissed people off. It made people angry. And then all of a sudden in this Northern Renaissance, the creator was made. The artist was made. You weren't a copyist anymore. And it was just a simple portrait. And then just acknowledging that you made it. I had no idea that the Northern Renaissance even existed. I had no idea that there was such a thing as an artist not actually living and like being a real thing, even though there are still centuries of art that was being made before the 15th and 16th century. And then I saw this and I learned about this and it's just, it was a core memory. I was like, wow, that is powerful. Like he, all he did was make a painting and then sign it differently than everybody else. And all of a sudden the entire world reacted differently to him and changed because of it. And that is one of my favorite stories to actually bring up with my kids. Whenever we're going over art history or learning about Renaissance is like, yeah, you understand the Renaissance because these paintings that are familiar, but don't forget that this also happened too. Like, let me show you this example and what that looks like and what that rebirth looked like instead. That's my favorite part. And I actually have tattooed on my arm as I can, as a reminder that I am a creator, that I will always be a creator. I will always be an artist. That's such a cool st- I've never heard that story before. I I probably like would have if I had done more art history and that sort of thing. But when I when I went to college, I stopped at my associates because I, I couldn't afford to go any further than that. But that that's like such a an amazing story and I'm so glad that you shared that because I feel like it's really relevant. I feel like a lot of kids are so in their head about how good something is and not just the fact that they're they ha- hold this power to create like literally anything they want and it doesn't really matter if it comes out perfect or not, you know? I, I just it's it's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. It's awesome. You're welcome. And hey, all it takes is look up a Northern Renaissance book and start reading you're gonna you're gonna see Jan van Eyck he's there he's an important iconic part of the renaissance of the northern Europe nations and yeah there's like probably 10 more Jan van Eyck's but everybody knows once you start reading about art history like the man in the red turban is a common art piece that you learn about just like you would learn about the sculptures in Italian renaissance I hated art history at first because it was so much reading and so many papers I had to write and so much research But man, I'm so glad I did it because that knowledge is just so rich. I feel like I learned more about history in general, better than I did in a history class because I was learning it through the lens of art history. And that is so important to me because I love learning about cultures. I love learning about people and I love learning about how that changes the way that we are now and who will be. I hated history because it was so boring and I felt like it just... There was nothing inspiring within it. It was just this, almost felt like, when you know, like those monotone voices where they're just kind of telling you, like, listing things off. There's no emotion whatsoever. I felt like that in history classes. And when I started learning about art history, it, like, it connected back to those things. I was like, wow, this is so much more cool than I thought it was. And I just arts and everything. It's the core of everything that we are. It, it is it is how we know history. It is how history is kept. It is how we are different than the rest of the species on this planet. We have emotion and we translate that into a language and that language is art making. Yeah, that's that's super cool. What an awesome story. I, I don't know if you saw, I just looked up the painting because I wanted to see it. And it is like, it's it's a jarring painting too. I, I really enjoy when artists make the 
portrait look directly at you. There's like something so like cold, but like shocking about it. I don't know. It definitely like elicits more emotion. And that that's a that's a form of art that's now being more used in modern art and contemporary art. And that is so important because that that does change the way that art will be viewed or talked about or seen and re- reacted to. I mean, like Jackson Pollock, he was he wasn't, his wife was, Lee Krasner was, but he was the person to put the painting on the floor, right? And that yeah. was a relationship of how we understood what art making was. And I will die on this hill that he is not the father of abstract expressionism. It was his wife, Lee Krasner. She did it first. She shared the same gallery walls as him, but nobody knows who Lee Krasner is, which just boggles my mind. But I just, I love learning about how relationships to art like you as a viewer being in front of a piece matters and I feel like that that always brings me back to this painting the man in the red turban because it it wasn't just you looking at something and it was a something no it's like you looking at a man and that man was looking back at you and you've created this new relationship and that changes everything about how you experience it it changes how you react to it and that goes on to just be a part of who you are as a viewer now moving forward. You're not going to look at paintings anymore as things. You are going to be more critical and more mindful of how you are acting when you're looking in front of this painting. Even if it's just a bowl of fruits, you're still going to be way more mindful about how you are just acting while you're looking at it. I I love that. I love that. And it's actually a big part of what I look to do in my own work. I consider myself to be an abstract expressionist. And like Rothko and Pearl Fine, Julie Moretu and Jackson Pollock, just because everybody knows him. So it gives you something to think about. (laughs) I, big emotional paintings create that relationship. It's so different than standing in front of something that is just like a normal size of piece of paper. No, when you're looking at artwork, I want you to have to have your entire body be a part of it. You have to crane your neck up to look at the whole thing because it's so big. You have to step back in order to see it all at once and then step forward to really get into those details and have both extremes. That relationship makes a big difference to me in art making because it's part of the experience of understanding that language because it does transcend you just sitting there reading something or you sitting there talking to somebody you have to use all of your senses essentially to or like you you need to be mindful of your whole presence when you're looking at art at least for me I want you to do that in my work I want you to be aware of your whole presence when you're looking at artwork and I wouldn't think that way today if it wasn't for Jan van Eyck, the man in the red turban, or learning more about our history and how it influenced the world that we're in today. It's, it kind of like makes me think, I was just talking about this like a few days ago to someone. Obviously, you've heard of, God, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I just know how it's spelled. Jean Michel Basquiat. <laughs> Oh my God. I've only read about him. I've never heard anyone pronounce it correctly. I know. I think it's like Jean-Michel or Jean-Michael, depending on how you say it, but Basquet. It's Basquet. Basquet. I always thought it was Basquiat. Okay. It's French. (laughs) I can't say it. That's why. I'm not even going to pretend to try to say it the correct way. No, he's one of the artists that the first artist that I saw that gave me a very physical reaction. I'm not a fan of his work just because of the way it makes me feel. And I don't know why. I was just talking about someone with this and we actually are planning on like recording an episode about it in the future it'll probably be more towards the end of season two whereas this episode is probably going to come out more toward the beginning but I was just having a conversation with about this artist and I remember so vividly sitting in I had a digital art imaging class and we we were basically learning about his I guess it was like a collab with Andy Warhol and I remember seeing that And I had to leave the room because it made me sick to my stomach. And I couldn't even place why. But I told my teacher, I was like, I hate this. I don't know why. I just hate it. And I'm a bit like, I'm I'm more of a fan of of Warhol. I know he was not a great person, but his his art, like, I I really enjoy what he what he did. I feel like it was different for the time that he was in. But for some reason, (laughs) 
like their their collab was just so unsettling and i think it had something to do with like the very heavy contrast but you you saying like you know paying attention to like your bodily like like your sensory reactions like to art that is an artist that specifically for me personally like sticks out with like a physical reaction so i thought that was interesting that you brought yeah, that i'm up actually looking it up right now i like i want to know i didn't know that he did a uh, collaboration with warhol and i i just i need to know but do you know about the bad painters do you know about bad painting no what is that well, <laughs> that's what basquet is he's the bad painter that's what he's called and i remember hearing it for the first time and i was so angry i remember my thesis professor recommended that I look into Basquet uh, because of this and then in the middle of a critique in front of the entire class instead of having this as like a studio visit with me I remember showing a work in progress for my thesis and he goes this reminds me of bad painting and I was like excuse me <laughs> I'm sorry can't say that again and then he like had to backtrack and he was like oh my god you don't know what this is like it's uh, an art movement essentially taking back the power of what it means to be a bad painter or like to have bad art and is there such a thing as bad art and Basquet is essentially like the leader of this movement called the bad painters or bad paint just bad paintings and um, now I actually look back on that fondly and I think like I, I'm so glad that I learned about that I thought it was an insult at first I thought that it was an insult to be part of what's called the bad painters movement but it's not it's revolutionary it's not at all what you think it is and it gave me a new fondness of Basquiat's work I actually love his work I love his work so much because it is just so much at just happening and I think that I think that as an artist I've learned to appreciate more of what art can do and what it does than just merely what it looks like. Yeah, definitely. I agree. He's he I'm not going to try again. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his name, but he's one of the greats for sure. Yeah. So we are coming up on an hour, though. So I have one more question for you and then we'll start to wrap things up. But my grand finale question is, are you going to play this episode of Artwise for your students? Because I, I think that they would love to hear it. Maybe. I might. A lot of them might roll their eyes and say, Miss, we've heard this already. I want to just listen back to what they're doing. But I know that my art club would actually like to hear it. I sponsor the art club at my school and I teach AP art at my school. And I know that those kids, the ones that I know, like they really want to be there. They never can get enough of me talking the way I do, like I'm doing right now. So I think that they would really enjoy it. And I... I would hope that it would motivate them. My beginning classes, the ones where I have such a wider range of students, I, I'm i kind of terrified. I'm extremely nervous of maybe showing them or having them listen to this podcast because I feel like they would rip me apart or they would roll their eyes and it would, it, it would be indifferent. And I hate both of those scenarios. It makes me very scared. Or it maybe would help them realize again just how passionate I am about, you know, being in their life and hopefully helping them find the courage to never lose sight of the power that they hold. When I think like that, everything else, no matter how scared I am, goes away. And that's all that matters. But then again, teenagers are mean. They are mean. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I when I first started season one of Artwise in 2020, I was sending episodes that I thought my art teacher would like. I was sending her emails and being like, "Hey, listen to this. Also, you should probably like show your students because like I think they'd really enjoy it." And she had to like remind me that not everyone loves art as much as me. She had to be like, "I'll show my AP students, but not yes, my regular classes." Exactly what I'm saying is like. I, I I get very, very passionate about what I'm talking about. Like this actually happened to me yesterday. I'm teaching surrealism right now. Like I'm introducing my kids to surrealism to get ready for the show that's happening in February. And I was talking about Ernst and Magritte and Dali and Kay Sage. And we were just going over the work and understanding what juxtaposition looks like, what it means to see the transformation or metamorphosis or the irrational. And I guess my second period, maybe it's a combination of the fact that it's just too early in the morning to be receiving this much information or because it's my beginning classes. I don't know. But 
they they just looked at me like, what is wrong with this lady? What is she saying? What is this stuff? This is weird. Why is she talking like this? I I, I would I kind of like had to stop for a second. I was like, are you guys okay? Did I lose you? And then one day actually said, yeah, you did. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Let's backtrack now. And I yeah that that happens and I, that's when I have to remind myself I'm like oh yeah I I have this and it will help me but if I drown them in it it will not do anything for anybody and that's what I'd be worried about maybe I'll give it to them and say if you want to listen to it you can't if you make fun of me I will cry so out of mind yeah but I do have a student in particular that I know she would absolutely love this that's she awesome. would probably not talk about she would probably listen to it every morning knowing her well, um, we got season yeah. one. Season one's already out with 30 <laughs> episodes. Not that I'm trying to plug your my podcast <laughs> to all your students, but... Um, Listen, I already sent the podcast to my best friend from high school who was also an artist. I already sent it to her and I already told her, I was like, look, I've got to do this interview today. Like, you should listen to some of their podcasts. God, I should recommend her to, for you to talk to her too, because she's just... If you think that I'm full of knowledge, you'd be... In, I get lost in her words, listening to her talk about art. And I feel like she didn't have the same journey I did with art, but we're both actually at the same moment where we're like, wow, we need to be making art again for ourselves. And that's what she's doing. She's making art again for herself and I'm making art again for myself. And you know what? Yeah, I'm actually going to, I'm going to tell her about it again and I'm going to ask her if she'd be open to it. And if she is, I am going to give you her information. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. I'm always looking for people to interview because I think every every single individual person, especially like anyone that's like a creative or in the art industry, even if it's not visual arts, like everyone, we're, we're such like, like I'm aiming to create like a closer community because I know that like from listening to other people's experiences, it can be so immensely helpful and networking in the art industry is like one of the biggest things. And I just love learning from other people. So anyone that you know, who's interested, you know, give them my information, have them send me a message. Anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, we have an Instagram (laughs) at Artwise Podcast. You can send me a DM if you're interested in being on it. Please don't, I don't want to have any minors on the podcast for kind of obvious reasons, but any adults who listen, yeah, send send me a message. I'm always looking for more artists. I'm actually going to do that. I I know a writer who I think that you would absolutely just love to indulge with. Like his mind is just wow amazing and i love what you're doing i hate that art seems like it's something that where you're always in competition with the other artist and that that makes you feel isolated in some way and i'm like yeah the elitist art world does exist and that's exactly what it is but that doesn't mean that that's what we need to continue having you know exactly down with the elitist movement of people making money off of building a balloon animal and thinking that it's innovative i hate that Art should be a community. And I hated feeling like I was always in competition with my studio mate. That should have been my person to go to, to feel inspired by and to collaborate with. And I struggled with that when I learned, when I got into the art world, I was like, okay, so now we have this night and day thing. I hate the art world, but I don't hate the the art world. And the one that I don't hate is the one that I feel is the one that reaches the most people and that is a true community. And I don't think that there's enough light shining down on it. So I really commend you for doing this. And I'm I'm really glad that this happened, that I was able to see your TikTok and <laughs> to realize that this exists. And it's just so funny that we're actually a lot closer to each other than I thought. Yeah, no. Thank you for coming on the podcast. The world needs more passionate art teachers in it. Like, very clearly. I'm so glad that you support the message. It's time to wrap it up though. So go ahead, plug all your stuff, how people can reach you, contact you, anything that you want people to know or have access to or be able to see. Go ahead, plug your stuff and then we'll wrap it up. (laughs) So I do have a website. It is focused specifically around my professional photography. I am also a wedding photographer. I'm not just an art teacher, not just an active artist um, or a graphic designer. Like I do commissions and things like that, but I don't advertise it really. And I need to stop doing that. And I think that if I just 
if I keep doing that, I'm hindering myself. I'm not giving myself more opportunity and chance to be an artist and make art again. So look at my website, rachelskoglandphotography.com. Send me a message. It doesn't have to be about photos. It could be about just talking to other artists, wanting to collaborate, wanting a commission, wanting private lessons. Like I, I love teaching art. I love being an artist. I love being in the art world. My Instagram is also Rachel Scoglin Photography. I'm not going to say that my personal is the best place to go right now to get a hold of me because it's not really based on my art. And I want you guys to really be part of that part of me. And I, I do have a Amazon wish list for supplies for my classroom. And that changes throughout the years, depending on what I need. And I soon hope to be building a GoFundMe page or a Donors Choose page to raise money to get a classroom set of cameras for my photography program. Because it, as fun it is to learn how to use your phone as a professional camera, I want them to know more of what it's really like to have a camera in their hand and feel more like an actual photographer. And I just, I don't have the money to get those cameras myself and I want my kids to have them. So maybe not this year, but next year for sure that Donors Choose is going to be showing up. So for those that hear this, go find me and message me through my website or Instagram and ask me for more. And I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to give you an opportunity to help me if if that's what you want to do, I can't say no because it's not for me, really. It's for my kids and I would do anything for them. Awesome. So I'm going to compile like a little list of all of the links that, that Rachel just mentioned and I'm going to put it in the episode description so you guys all have easy access to it. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Rachel, for being on. You've been thank awesome. You uh, um, thank you for hearing my info dump. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. And I will see you guys all next Tuesday. Bye, everyone.